man, oh man, is everyone giving Bruce Caster a hard time? I mean, my goodness gracious, he's up there in front of the Senate, he's trying his best, and oh, the backlash and the heat that he's taking right now, oh my goodness gracious. Now, there's been a lot of criticism coming in throughout the day on the Trump attorneys, and did they do well? Well, listen, I thought David Schoen was pretty well. I mean, you got people laughing at him for the way that he drinks water because he puts his hand on the back of his head. I mean, listen to the substance and his words and what he actually had to say, the context of it. And you know what? As far as Castor goes, listen, I'm not going to sit here all throughout the program and defend him, but you Democrats who are laughing and saying, oh my goodness, what a terrible, weird, bizarre, strange performance. Well, you know what? Laugh all you want, because guess what? Even after that, your impeachment charade, and that's what it is, it's a hoax, call it whatever you want, witch hunt, he is still going to come out on the winning side. Now, what's the goal of the uh, House managers? Well, they need to convince 67 senators that Donald Trump incited an insurrection. The only words that Democrats use anymore, incitement, insurrection, and impeachment. And that's really about it. Well, here's the thing. You're going to get, believe you me, Democrats stick together. That's all that they do. If one gets out of line, you know, they use every sort of tactic that they have and make sure that funding is cut or you you better you know the circumstances of what you just did. How dare you step out of line because freedom of speech and free thought and actual individuals' own ideas, those have long disappeared in the Democrat Party. The orders are given to them, and it's, these are orders that go to the mainstream media as well. Did you see them through the day? Joy Reid, oh my goodness, Jamie Raskin's speech was so great. Let me tell you something about Jamie Raskin's speech. Because I was listening to it, and, you know, well, it's so heartfelt about, you know, his, he had to bury his son, and then this insurrection comes around. And I'm like, wait a minute, this has nothing to do with your son. Why would you politicize your son's death be, and then bring it into a speech, uh, and that's what it was, an oral argument about an insurrection at the Capitol. To me, I thought it was downright disgusting what Jamie Raskin did. It did not deserve a, a, a heartfelt, tearful, you know, cl clapping round of applause performance. I don't believe that at all. I think, why would you ever politicize your own son's death to further a political talking point which more than half the country disagrees with? And by the way, there's polling um, on impeachment and how Americans really truly feel about it. That's coming up uh, a little later on in the program. Uh, so I thought uh, on top of that, that I thought Schoen had some pretty good lines. We'll get to that. I thought, like I said, I thought Castro was okay. But anyway, um, 
the goal of the house managers right you got to get the 67 senators so the 50 democrat you got that i mean they could just walk in hand their speeches over and, and that's it you'll get the 50 democrats but you need to convince 17 republican senators that the president the former president donald trump is guilty of inciting an insurrection that's what the article of impeachment is now how did he do that well they argue it that it was through his rhetoric and and how dare he said that you go and and you fight right and that uh you go to the capitol well they left out and we went through the entire transcript of uh donald trump speaking on january 6th to me there was nothing in that speech that rises to the level of incitement he never told anyone you go there you 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 break into the capitol and and you go to nancy pelosi's office and you terrorize the congressmen and women and they never said anything like that now did you notice what was left out of the democrat of the democrats arguments today not one of them brought up the sentence by donald trump where he said peacefully and patriotically protest and fight not once did they say it. let your voices be heard never brought it up that's how they are again the whole but you got to remember though that the democrat party is based on a lie so everything that they put forward and want the american people to believe is true is all a lie that's what they do that's their greatest strength is lying they polarize they divide they politicize absolutely anything they can get their hands on now what they did do is convince six republican senators and that's the big headline for the day that the trump impeachment trial it is constitutional and it can proceed so you got the six and by the way you can probably guess who the republicans were who fold and who folded and who are cowards and could really care less about the republican party and are just rhino republicans cassidy's um a little surprising from louisiana but the rest of them you, you, go, go right down the line and guess who the republican senators are so a handful of gop senators crossed party lines on tuesday by the way this citation is in fox news by voting to affirm the constitutionality of the impeachment trial of former president donald trump the senate agreed to consider the case against trump by a 56 to 44 vote again you are always going to get those 50 democrats um now a total of six republicans though joined the democrats this was susan collins go figure lisa murkowski go figure mitt romney ben sass pat toomey go figure and then uh, Bill Cassidy of Louisiana. Now, Cassidy voted to proceed with the trial just two weeks after he joined other Republicans in a vote to dismiss the impeachment charge on grounds that proceedings against a former president would be unconstitutional. Well, Bill Cassidy explained uh, his reversal. He said, quote, we heard arguments from both sides on the constitutionality of having a Senate trial of a president who has since left office. A sufficient amount of evidence of constitutionality exists for the Senate to proceed with the trial. This vote is not a prejudgment on the final vote to convict. If anyone disagrees with my vote and would like an explanation, I ask them. 
listen to the arguments presented by the House managers and former President Trump's lawyers. The House managers had much stronger constitutional arguments. The president's team did not. Okay, and like I said, you know, you can criticize them all you want, but again, this whole process is unconstitutional. Think about what happens if the senators actually voted Donald Trump guilty of inciting an insurrection. Well, then guess what? Then you better haul in Maxine Waters, who was saying to harass people from the Trump administration. Or how about Charles E. Schumer himself? You, I'm telling you, Kavanaugh, I'm telling you, Gorsuch, you've unleashed the whirlwind and you're going to pay for these decisions. Well, that sounds to me, if Donald Trump's words incited an insurrection, that isn't that an incitement for violence? Nancy Pelosi, uh, maybe there'll be upbringings in the street. I don't know. Or Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, part of the squad, right? Who the old Democrats and the Democrat Party are so totally terrified and afraid of, saying that, well, there'll be, this'll be, ha there'll be, uh, this'll happen in the streets as long as this is happening in our hearts. I don't have the exact um, phrase that she used, but, but you get the point. I mean, Democrats use this language all the time. Republicans use it. You, you hear everyone saying that we got to go and we got to fight. We got to fight. We got to fight. It's all part of political speech. And on a bigger picture, it's all part of free speech. That is, again, guaranteed to all of us, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, by the First Amendment. So what does that go back to? Oh, again, the Democrats wanting to completely shred the United States Constitution. Steve Cortez worked on the Trump campaign in 2016 and also 2020 saying questioning the validity of election results is criminal. It's un-American. It's and then he links to uh, May 16th, 2017, Nancy Pelosi quote. Our election was hijacked. There is no question. So there you, you can, nope, the 2016 election definitely was hijacked. Now, why isn't Twitter taking that tweet down? For, to the best of my knowledge, it's still up now. People can still read it. Is it not disinformation? Because we had a two-year-long Mueller investigation that proved that anything like this was a complete and utter lie. We also know from the Office of Director of National Intelligence, John Radcliffe, uh, releasing and um, uh, uh, putting into the public the uh, uh, documents saying that Hillary Clinton was going to stir up a scandal. Declassified, the word that I'm looking for. Sorry about that. It's awfully late here. We've had a lot to go through today, and this impeachment thing is just making me so freaking angry that this is what we have to do this is what the ruling party decides is the most important thing but anyway so we know that hillary clinton said she was going to literally stir up a scandal by vilifying trump by connecting him with russia well that's how democrats started rolling and running with this whole this election was hacked it was hacked by the russians and trump colluded with russia the biggest conspiracy theory of all time Pelosi says Congress has a duty to protect our democracy and follow the facts. That's concluding the tweet from May of 2017. 
Well, why is that still up? It's disinformation. It's a lie. It's a conspiracy theory. But again, it's okay when Democrats do it. Much like the political speech, it's okay for Schumer to incite violence, and it's okay for Pelosi to do it, and Ayanna Presley, and Maxine Waters. But when Republicans do it, no, 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 no. That can't stand, and we have to impeach. Mark Meadows, uh, the former President Donald Trump's chief of staff, saying today, Democrat House members trampled overdue process and basic constitutional rights and began a blatantly political vendetta to put their own agenda ahead of millions of Americans. It won't work. President Trump will be acquitted. On top of that, Fox News citing the six most interesting first day moments after four hours of emotional testimony and bitter debate day one of the trump impeachment trial has drawn to a close in the senate the biggest thing is that the senate voted that the trial is constitutional obviously by the vote of 56 to 44. uh the senate approved the impeachment timeline the trial is slated to continue through the weekend with no days off that's under a resolution authored by senate majority leaders charles e schumer and republican minority leader now thanks a lot mitch mitch mcconnell the eight-page bipartisan resolution sets out the rules and timeline for Trump's second impeachment trial in an effort to complete the unprecedented proceedings in a fair and speedy fashion. Uh, the uh, next important thing, Democrats pull up graphic video of Capitol riot. So this video, this mashup of Trump's own words encouraging his supporters to, quote, fight like hell, was followed by graphic images of rioters then breaking down barricades at the capitol and yelling profanities at officers which uh i cannot repeat on this program because it is radio we don't do that here on uh, one clip rioters were seen berating and beating up capitol police as they forced their way into the capitol one officer dying from his injuries while another 140 officers were injured in the siege the gripping 13-minute video included clips from Senator Mitch McConnell speaking on the Senate floor, calling out Trump's conspiracy theories on election fraud. Um, and then Jamie Raskin himself saying he told the story of his own family's terror during the riot, which was only one day after he buried his son, Tommy. The Maryland Democrat noted that his daughter, Tabitha, and son-in-law, Hank, accompanied him to the Capitol on January 6th to provide emotional support as lawmakers met to confirm President Biden's election victory. Quote, all around me, people were calling their wives and their husbands, their loved ones to say goodbye. Then there was a sound I'll never forget. The sound of pounding on the door like a battering ram, the most haunting sound I've ever heard. And I will never forget it. Now, doesn't that sound like plagiarism from Jamie Raskin? Literally the same exact story that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez pointed to. That this banging, where is she? Where is she? Now he's saying he heard the same thing. Oh, and, and, and it must have been these Trump-supporting insurrectionists, right? Was not. I can tell you that right now. Lawyer Bruce Castor saying Dems are just afraid of running against Trump again. We are really here. Because the majority in the House of Representatives does not want to face 
Donald Trump is a political rival in the future. Again, that's the real reason we're here. I don't think there was anything wrong with that, of, of Castor saying that, saying that the floodgates will open if the Senate impeaches Trump. The political pen. I thought this was a great line by Castor. The political pendulum will shift one day. This chamber and the chamber across the way will change one day and partisan impeachments will become commonplace. Now, I would have to argue that, listen, we're already way past that point. If Republicans get the House next year in the election and then are sworn in in uh, 2023, they have got to impeach, whether it be Biden or Harris, they have to do it to say that, listen, this is how stupid you idiots looked when you did it to Trump. So now we have to do it because this is how it is. This is the precedent that you morons have set now. Um, now, this is what uh, this was also in Fox News. I, th I thought it was awfully interesting. Sources telling Fox News that Donald Trump was furious and beyond angry over his defense team showing. Former President Trump furious beyond angry uh, after his defense team showing on day one. The sources now, and remember, this is all sourcing from Fox News, who spent time with Trump, said he was particularly incensed, incensed with the effort thus far by his attorney, Bruce Castor. Trump believes Castor gave a rambling opening argument. Castor's 45-minute opening remarks were widely panned on social media after he praised the House impeachment managers for a job well done. So the American people just spoke and they changed administrations, Castor said at one point. He said the public is smart enough to pick a new administration. They don't like the old one and they just did. The sources say that Trump watched the proceedings from his quarters in Mar-a-Lago, the AP citing an unnamed source. So knock out the, you know, who knows where, uh, how true this could be. Said that Trump was impressed with the opening video presentation from Democrats. Trump's team did not immediately respond to an email from Fox News. Now, what I believe there, if that's true, that Trump was impressed with the video presentation, he probably said it jokingly. Oh, wow, that was that was awfully good. That was very good. Don't you just hear Donald Trump saying that? Um, I mean, I don't believe that he was, but if he was, I'm pretty sure he was probably kidding about it. Castor defended his performance in an interview after learning that Senator Bill Cassidy moved to side with the Democrats. This is according to the Wall Street Journal. Castor said, you put 100 people in the same room, you're going to get 100 different opinions. We only lost one, so I believe we had a good day. Now, hold on a minute there, because I don't believe that that's the proper strategy to go with. But again, when you have this this uh, amount of play that the uh, Trump attorneys do, then I understand the strategy there. Castor clarified that his well done statement was not an acknowledgement that the Democrats' case was more effective. Uh, Castor also saying, listen, the U.S. senators have a reputation and it's deserved. We expect them to do what is right, notwithstanding what is immediately expedient that the media tells us is the topic of the day. So again, I thought he had a few good lines throughout. Now, David Schoen, I thought, probably um, did better than Caster if you were going to rate them on points. He had some great lines. Going forward with this impeachment trial of a former president of the United States is unconstitutional. And as a matter of policy, it is wrong. As wrong as can be. 
for all of us as a nation. The impeachment article should be treated as a nullity and dismissed based on the total lack of due process in the House. I agree with him there. Said the singular goal of the House managers and House leadership in pursuing the impeachment uh, ensuing, uh, pursuing the impeachment conviction of Donald J. Trump is to use these proceedings to disenfranchise at least 74 million Americans with whom they disagree. Shown is right in every single aspect of that. We know that that's what this trial is truly all about because they're terrified of Donald Trump and they're terrified what he's going to do going forward and which direction he's going to take the Republican Party. Jonathan Turley, who is a constitutional professor, excuse me, also is a Democrat, by the way, says, quote, the constitutionality of Trump impeachment is a very interesting and unresolved issue. He said today, uh, all of us agree, this is a close question, most people have a default one way or the other. I tend to default more with the text. And I think the better argument is probably the narrow argument that you don't really have room for retroactive trials under the text. I think in the end, you have a very interesting and unresolved issue. I've evolved in my view of the text, and I actually still agree there's values in retroactive trials. It's just you have to balance them against these costs and against the text. And he said he, he praised the House managers. He thought they were very good. Said they began with this highly emotive narrative with this video, which was remarkably detached from the issue facing the, facing the Senate. Everyone agrees that what happened on January 6th was horrible, but that doesn't go to this question of whether we should open this door to retroactive trials. Says there's only two cases and the outcomes do not support um, this of having previous impeachment trials of officials who have already left office. In the case of Senator William Blount, they dismissed the case for jurisdictional reasons. And in the case of former Secretary of War, William Belknap, almost half of the Senate dismissed because they believe it was unconstitutional. And then they went on to acquit him. So given all of this and what we've seen, there's another question about this trial. And that is, how is the presiding officer and and it's remember uh chief justice roberts is not presiding over this case but it's senate senator De let me rephrase democrat senator patrick Leahy, who is the presiding officer and he says that he's gonna conduct the trial with fairness to all as many of you know i did not by the way he talks like you know i didn't preside over this trial He's so old, his voice is gone. Yet while I occupy the constitutional office of the president pro tempore, it is incumbent upon me to do so. It says my intention and solemn obligation is to conduct this trial with fairness to all. Now that's um, very interesting that he says that, fairness to all. Should a motion, objection, request, or application related to the procedure of the Senate or to the trial be put before me, I will consult with the parliamentarian and be guided by Senate precedent. Now, I want to know, how is this old stumbling fool supposed to possibly be fair? 
with statements like these. On January 7th, he said, quote, it's painfully clear that President Trump remains an ongoing and immediate threat to our constitutional republic. He should either immediately resign or the vice president should invoke the 25th Amendment. Absent that, absent that, I support Congress reconvening convening to impeach the president. Okay, well, it sort of sounds like we know where he's going with that. He also released a statement in January. Uh, my hope is that January 6th will be remembered as a day our nation stood together, no matter our political leanings, in defense of our democracy. We stood together, Democrats and Republicans, to reject the president's recklessness and incitement and to demand accountability for the attack on our republic. It says, I, all, I share the sadness and anger of so many of my fellow Vermonters about the events of January 6th. While I rushed through the corridors of the Capitol, I could not believe my eyes and ears. It says, it is often through strife and grief that we emerge stronger. I'm hopeful we did that on January 6th. Also said, quote, I have long believed that President Trump is a threat to our constitutional republic. He will remain so. President Trump should immediately resign or be removed from office. He also released a statement. Now, this is January 13th. So, um, President Trump has not simply failed to uphold his, off, his oath excuse me, to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution, uh, which itself would be sufficient to warrant his impeachment and removal. He has emerged as the greatest threat to our Constitution and to our, to our democracy in a generation. So how, again, is this guy supposed to be impartial? It's not going to happen. How can he possibly say that there will be fairness for all? He's literally already said which way he's going to vote. It's incredible how stupid this all is. And the American people, by the way, understand it's dumb. 538, uh, from, and this is from last month, January 20th, right before Joe Unity Biden was inaugurated. Do Americans support removing Trump from office? There's polling. Do you think, this is a YouGov poll, by the way, do you think President Trump should resign? 78% of Republicans say no. 82% of Democrats say yes. So you understand the divide here. Uh, another YouGov poll, do you think President Trump should be removed from office? 86% of Republicans, no. 87% of Democrats, yes. Do you think Trump should be impeached? 88% of Republicans, no. 94% of Democrats, yes. A civics poll, do you think the pre that President Trump should be removed from office before his term ends on January 20th? 93% of Republicans saying no. 87% of Democrats saying yes. So you understand here. And you got a Suffolk University poll uh, because of this incident. Do you think Trump should be removed? 90% of Republicans say no. 91% of Democrats say yes. Rasmussen, should President Trump be removed from office? 74% of Republicans, no. 81% of Democrats, yes. Uh, and it continues. Ipsos poll. 
Do you agree or disagree with the following statements? Trump should be removed immediately. No, say Republicans, 75%, 94% of Democrats saying yes. So clearly this impeachment trial, Republicans don't want, Republicans don't believe it's constitutional, and Republicans don't believe in it at all. They think it's stupid. They think it's a waste of time trying to impeach someone who has literally already left office. He is no longer the sitting president. So it's unconstitutional, it's dividing the country, and it's just plain stupid and hypocritical. But this is what the Democrats do. They'd rather waste their time on this than worrying about actually helping the American people. Take a poll of small business owners. How about that? Or people who need COVID relief who are out of a job. I tell you what, why don't you ask the Keystone XL pipeline workers who are out of a job? Thanks to Joe Unity Biden. If they believe that this is uh, so important and the most essential thing that we should be doing, I guarantee overwhelmingly they're going to say no. But the American people, they absolutely have to remember that this is what Democrats are focused on right now. In the middle of a pandemic, right? They're focused on impeaching the president. It's the same thing as last year all over again. It's like it's impeachment season in Washington, D.C. They have nothing better to do. And this is what they want. They're dividing the country even more than they and than we already are. This is how Democrats are. They want division. They want a polarized and they want an angry country. That's about it. Anyway, so day two will come tomorrow. We'll continue to follow this impeachment trial. Though I do not want to. I'm telling you right now, it pains me that I, I want to talk about the news of the day, which we're going to get into. Uh, right now, but you know, we got to go through a whole impeachment trial again. Just boneheads. That's what they are. They're boneheads. All right, some of the news of the day now. This was interesting to me, but it wasn't surprising. It's funny because you have the World Health Organization who's making news today with this headline World Health Organization drops investigation into whether COVID 19 virus leaked from Wuhan lab, calling the theory unlikely. The World Health Organization might as well be called the China Health Organization. So the World Health Organization come out, comes out today investigating the origins uh, of the coronavirus pandemic, downplayed the possibility that the virus leaked from a lab near Wuhan. Instead, coronavirus likely spread from an animal to humans the china health organization sorry i meant world health organization food safety and animal diseases expert peter ben embarek said the world health organization of china faced strong criticism from around the world over their pandemic response china blocking member the china health organization investigators from entering wuhan and then they finally arrived in mid-january embarek said our initial findings suggest that the introduction through an intermediary host species is the most likely pathway and one that will require more studies and more specific targeted research. However, 
The findings suggest that the laboratory incidents hypothesis is extremely unlikely to explain the introduction of the virus to the human population. Therefore, it is not a hypothesis that we advise to suggest future studies into the understanding of the origin of the virus. So that's the China Health Organization. Now, I, I believe that we've gone through Matthew Tai, Lao Y86, saying that all the evidence that uh, the person who might have been patient zero um, who found out that this was happening in the Wuhan Institute of Virology was disappeared. And why were they disappeared? There's still no explanation for that. So to me, it's not surprising. I believe it came, it, it definitely came from Wuhan. Was it started in a lab? Listen, there's a very big possibility. I'm not going to listen to the China Health Organization. And by the way, remember, the China Health Organization, Joe Biden wants to rejoin. Joe Biden, we got to get to Joe Biden news of the day. How about this in the Daily Caller? Biden CIA pick William Burns leads a think tank with close ties to China. Go figure. You know, Joe Biden is so, so connected to China told you when we in the build up to the election if we elect Biden we bow down to China William J Burns who is president Joe Biden's nominee for director of the CIA is president of a think tank that has received up to 2 million dollars from a Chinese businessman as well as from a think tank with close ties to the Chinese Communist Party as president of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. Burns also invited nearly a dozen congressional staffers to attend a junket to China, where they met with a uh, Communist Party operative and a president of a Chinese front group. Burns, who listen to this now, paid $540,000 last year, who was paid uh, last year as president of Carnegie, will appear before the Senate Intelligence Committee for a confirmation hearing likely to be held this month. He's been president since March 20, uh, 2015. Now, during his tenure at Carnegie, a businessman named Zhang Yichen joined the think tank's board of trustees. We are very fortunate to have Zhang Yichen on our board, he said. I look forward to working with him. Zhang, though, is a member of two organizations linked to the Chinese Communist Party. And that's according to his biography at SeaTech, uh, if you want to call it that, Capital, the Chinese People's Political Consult. Listen to this Consultative Conference, the CPPCC. Oh my goodness! Right, there's enough of C's and P's going around in China there, and the CCP. My God Almighty! And the Center for China and Globalization. This is described as listen to this, on, and this is from Chinese Embassy a united front organization under the leadership of the Communist Party. Well, that doesn't sound like a great pick, Joe. Uh, yesterday, you had the Senate confirming the former Obama chief of staff as the uh, VA secretary. New York Post writing, the Senate on Monday confirmed Dennis McDonough, McDonoughue, everyone to say it, I think it's McDonoughue, who served as President Barack Obama, Barack Hussein, Obama's chief of staff as the next veteran affairs secretary McDonoughue who listen to this now and and I think that it should probably be mandatory that you served 
in uh, our armed forces to be veteran affairs secretary so that it doesn't show such a disconnect between the two. McDonough, though, has never served in the armed forces. The Department of Veterans Affairs has presented organizational challenges uh, for both parties over the years. McDonough told lawmakers he possesses the ability to tackle and solve complex government challenges. Uh, on top of that, you got Dr. Fauci now saying that masks. Can... So Brett Bayer, and I appreciated this from Brett Bayer, who I believe is a fantastic um, news, straight news guy. Fauci was on with Brett Bayer yesterday, and he said, Brett Bayer asked him, is there going to be a time when we are going to be, you know, no masks? When is that time? If you had to guess going to a sports game, going to a theater, going to a concert without a mask. Well, Fauci says, that will really be dependent upon how we get the level of virus in the community down. So remember, it was on us. And we had to wear masks. And everyone's wearing a mask, by the way. Everyone is wearing masks. I say that. I mean 95% of the American people are walking around wearing masks. We look like the Chinese. So now it's dependent upon how we get the level of the virus in the community down. If we can get, and I've used this as an estimate, not definitive, but if we can get 70 to 85% of the population vaccinated and to and get to what we hope would be a degree of herd immunity, which really is an umbrella or a veil, veal of uh, protection against the community where the level of virus is so low it's not a threat at all, then at that point, you can start thinking in terms of not having to uniform wearing of masks. Now, I'll read it again. Listen to this. Where the level of virus is so low, it's not a threat at all. Well, wait a minute. We don't wear masks when we when we know that the flu is prevalent and it's out there and you can possibly catch that no one was wearing was wearing masks before then that's what covid is going to turn into it's going to turn into exactly like the flu it's the same symptoms it's the same just about everything you get your covid shot you can have a choice to get the covid vaccine shot or not just like everyone has a choice to get the flu shots or not um Fauci saying that if everything falls uh, into the right place and we get this under control, it's conceivable that you might be able to pull back a bit on some of the public health measures as we get into the late fall of this year. And at that point in time, I said, you know what, Dr. Fauci, I'm sick and tired of hearing about you and your masks. Uh, now, here's a stat that shows Americans, hey, guess what? Maybe they don't like sports becoming politicized. Deadline, reporting the Super Bowl viewership drops to multi-decade low for the NFL. In figures, released Tuesday morning by CBS Sports, the big game had a total audience of 96.4 million viewers, confirming suspicions that many had even, uh, that many had even going into the matchup between the Bucks and the Chiefs that this is the least watched Super Bowl in recent history history with around 91.6 million viewers on CBS alone the 2021 Super Bowl is still the most watched show of the past year however taking an 8% stumble from what Fox had on its broadcast last year 
the 55th Super Bowl distinctly had the smallest network audience since the very different since the very different TV era of 2016. And I thought, wow, you know what? Look at that. Maybe the American people don't like the politicization of sports. Now, um, uh, National Review. Sorry, I thought it was the Federalist uh, for a second. This was a great piece by Rich Lowry, and I think that a lot of different Americans are going to relate um, to this. So Rich Lowry writes in the National Review, and this actually came yesterday, the humiliating art of the woke apology. Now he writes, there's one factor that undergirds every aspect of these confessions, uh, fear being the one thing. When people look back at our current era of woke intolerance, Perhaps the most disturbing artifact will be reporter Donald McNeil's apology upon his ouster from the New York Times. Says the reason for his abject self-abasement is a bit of a mystery. He didn't grovel to save his job. He was getting fired regardless. Perhaps he felt he needed to make a fulsome apology with an eye to future job prospects, or maybe he believed every word. So McNeil wrote a note to the Times. By the way, it used to be a New York Times guy, um, and he had to. He had to. Res um, I believe he had to. Res he resigned before he was um, fired. That was. But this guy. I mean, think about your typical New York Times so-called journalist guy um, that that uh, you know is just a deep state swamp establishment fella. So he's saying, I'm sorry if I offended anyone. I wish in retrospect I had put that differently. Apologies that might make sense if warranted. Now, it doesn't really matter um, you know, what he did. You just need to understand that he's apologizing uh, for you know what he believed offended a lot of people. And that's where we are. By the way, I don't want to make the point of this story into um, McNeil. I want to make sure that uh, the point gets across that this is what is involved in, in every woke culture apology i don't even know the right words to put it but what we're seeing now so the apologizer in every aspect when this happens becomes the extreme self-accusation the apologizer must make the rubble bounce regarding his or her own failures uh in one of the multiple apologies for taking a swipe at chrissy teigen's recipe business and at Mario Kondo, food writer Allison Romaine said that she was stupid, careless, and insensitive. Um, now, on top of having to be extreme self, the, the extreme self-accusation, you need to have a, a sweeping statement of harm. McNeil, whose work on COVID has gained renown uh, during the pandemic, made it sound as though science coverage of at the times, and perhaps the paper itself, would be hard-pressed to recover from his innocent use of the N-word. My lapse of judgment has hurt my colleagues in science, the hundreds of people who trusted me to work with them closely during this pandemic, right? So you, you kind of see, and then he says here, so for offending my colleagues and anything I've done to the Times, which is an institution I love and whose mission I believe in and try to serve, I am sorry I let all of you down. Drew Brees apologizing in this same way. I'd like to apologize to my friends, teammates, the city of New Orleans, the black community for saying that he didn't want to kneel during the national anthem. So you see that there's this statement 
of harm. On top of that, those two, you also get this dawning awareness of the level of offense. These apologies are little morality tales where the offender realizes the error of not realizing how offensive it was. Um, there's also a confession, of course, of privilege. Now, this was interesting in the Poetry Foundation. So the Poetry Foundation said that we acknowledge that we are predominantly white. There was a, uh, how do I describe it? There was a little bit of um, criticism uh, towards the Poetry Foundation because there wasn't enough diversity. So the Poetry Foundation came out with a statement and said, we acknowledge that we are predominantly white and occupy other privileged identities. Uh, one person said, I'm a white woman who has and will continue to benefit from white privilege. And I recognize that makes what I said even more inexcusable and hurtful. The fact it didn't occur to me that I had singled out two Asian women is 100% a function of my privilege. Now, there's also gratitude for being tutored by the more enlightened. All the learning cited in these apologies wouldn't have occurred without the instruction of the truly woke who are accordingly due the greatest appreciation. Well, they, this woke culture, they're the ones that say, oh, this is offensive. Those are the people that are telling them, you need to apologize. You're wrong. And that I, that has to go away. So I want to use the Poetry Foundation example. Again, the po Poetry Foundation thanked those who slammed it. We wish to express our deep gratitude and reverence to the authors of the community letter to every person who signed in support and to those who have spoken up in the past through our acceptance of institutional silence to questions and concerns raised we have let you down now it's very important because i got an article in a sec on the poetry um foundation i just want to finish up here um as lowry finishes he says there's one factor that undergirds every aspect of these apologies it is indeed fear Fear of the cultural power of the accusers, their ability to ruin careers, reputations, and lives. These kinds of confessions aren't wrung from the accused under threat of torture exile, but they are in some real sense coerced, which is why they ring so false and are so alarming in a free society. Now, I think it's a fantastic article highlighting that you that once these woke people come for you, it's all about fear. Well, I thought the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And, you know, do, you, you, you got to get over that. Um, there's a tremendous quote, and I believe it's a Bible quote, actually, um, that I always go back to. And I've, I've, I've spoken about it before. I want to make sure um, I can get it up. Uh, just give me a second here. I didn't think I'd get to it. I'll get to it at some point. I'll get it to you um, tomorrow. But anyway, it's, it's besides the point. Basically saying that there's not, you know, we shouldn't live in fear. And we should have a belief in, in God and hope that, you know, we can overcome whatever it is. Here it is right here, actually. I'm sorry about that. 2 Timothy 1.7. For God's not given me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and of power and a sound mind to live each day and glorify his name. So you can just easily fire that back 
at the woke culture. Do not fear the woke people, the woke cancel culture in this country. Now, so for Poetry Magazine, right? Listen to this headline. This came today in the Washington Examiner. Poetry Magazine is so woke that it published a child pornography convict excellent. Now, you won't hear any outrage about this. You sure, sure as heck should, but you won't. So last year, the Poetry Foundation was scorched by its own supporters for not sounding woke enough while Black Lives Matter protests were underway. Now, in order to prove its social justice credentials, the Foundation's magazine is publishing an issue full of cons and ex-cons, current and formerly incarcerated people, including one guy convicted of possessing more than 500,000 500,000 images of child pornography. When readers were rightfully outraged that Poetry Magazine would reserve space in its pages for someone who apparently supports or supported child abuse, it replied that editors didn't have knowledge of contributors' backgrounds and the editorial principle for this issue was to widen access to publication for writers inside prison and to expand access to poetry bearing in mind biases against and barriers for incarcerated people. So as we know that plenty of people are thrown in prison each year for crimes they didn't commit or for long sentences that they didn't deserve. But if any of them can write a good poem, we, we ought to have the chance to read it. But we really can do without poems by sex offenders. But there's a problem. That problem is that's the kind of thing you forget to look out for when your ultimate goal is looking woke. Now, I would immediately make the comparison to that with Kamala Harris, Vice President of the United States, and how she was encouraging, supporting, bailing out people who were put in prison because of the rioting that we saw over the summer, the Minnesota Freedom Fund. And was that okay? She wasn't. She didn't care about what these people did. She just wanted to get them out of prison so it could continue. And I love how the Washington Examiner puts it. That's the problem. You miss these kinds of things when your ultimate goal is looking woke the ultimate message that i have about this is the woke culture the cancel culture do not fear it ever those are small small people who want to ensure that you need to walk on eggshells and you need to watch every single word it is that you say don't believe them don't fear them Again, I think it's a I think it's a fantastic way to end the program tonight with uh with the quote from um uh Timothy to Timothy for God's not given me a spirit of fear but a spirit of love and of power and a sound mind to live each day and glorify His name. How about that? Good way to end this Tuesday night edition. Philip Ward show back here tomorrow. See you then.